Welcome to the podcast for the NIH seed-funded R25 Education Grant, Discovering the Value of Imaging, administered by the National Institute of Biomedical Imaging and Bioengineering. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Section 3 of our podcast. Today, we'll be talking about data sets. So where are we? In the last two sessions, we've been sort of calibrating and getting up to speed with machine learning as a general methodology in medicine. Armed with some of this knowledge, it's time to start our first real discussions on applications in radiology. At the beginning, all analysis begins with data, so that's where we'll begin. Though the papers we read today do have some technical components in terms of classification and applications, today I really want to focus on the data sets themselves, uh, and we'll cover some of these other uh, technical issues in later podcasts. So why data sets? Data sets are very much responsible for much of the progress in machine vision and object recognition. In the, in the computer science world, there are uh, systems such as GoogleNet, ImageNet, uh, and some of the other pre-trained networks that were used in sort of the chest X-ray 8 paper. A lot of this progress occurred because there were standard data sets that were created by the uh, computer science community to essentially benchmark um, new applications uh, and new approaches as well as facilitate uh, competition. And this is really the onus for uh, publications such as Chess X-ray 8 and Mira to sort of get data sets out there and really allow computer scientists and other technical folks to apply their different models to this data. The second reason is, as domain experts, uh, this is one of the most single best things you can do to contribute to this conversation is helping to label and look at uh, data and annotate. Uh, and with these annotations, then comes the ability to build models and do other things on them. Why medical data sets in particular? Well, medical data sets are very hard to come by. Um, as you know, privacy concerns limit sharing. Um, a lot of the image dating has uh, um, PHI embedded in it sometimes, which has to be removed. And also, uh, you know, if you're doing a head CT, you know, there's discussion about being able to reconstruct faces and whether that's uh, and what to do about that. Um, and also, I wanted to talk, uh, present these medical data sets to you as well, because it allows you to get started today on sort of different kinds of analysis or things that you may want to do on your own. There are two kinds of data sets. Uh, the first are medical images, which is pretty obvious. Uh, but the, also, the second uh, is the textual reads. Um, so the MIMIC data set, which we'll talk about a little bit, has a lots of radiologic uh, uh, reports. Uh, and, you know, those sort of the two places where uh, machine learning achieving most in radiology is either to doing turning some of the unstructured reporting into structured data and or you know obviously looking at the images or doing classification on the images. So an interesting question that comes up that I'd like you to think about for two seconds is what really is a gold standard? Um, so we have these data sets, we label them, um, and what are our concerns about the quality of those labels? Um, you know, how often do you or colleagues agree or disagree with a diagnosis? And are we in the territory where, um, you know, sort of garbage in, garbage out, right? So, um, you know, you may be looking at an image and you think there's a pneumonia there, but your colleague doesn't. And so what do we do in those situations? And uh, how deeply do we need to think about this as a problem for building these machine learning applications? Because at the end of the day, you know, these deep learning models and other things are utilizing label data that is, could be inherently uh, faulty. 
And I really have two responses, um, you know, to this concern of having a gold standard that's not necessarily precise. The first is, you know, what is the alternative, right? And the alternative is to get higher quality data. So maybe every time we label data, you know, we have uh, five um, uh, radiologists and we come to consensus and then we label that. Um, and, you know, that's certainly a valid approach uh, and we can get a lot of, you know, good results that way. Um, however, it's extremely time consuming and you can imagine how much time it's going to take to generate uh, good data sets using this methodology. The second comment is, you know, maybe we should just get more data. And as we talked about, you know, in last week's uh, podcast, if you have a choice between trying to get higher quality data or try to get more data, you know, at the end of the day, you're probably just better off getting as much data as you possibly can. And I think this is, this is the case here as well. And the third thing is that, you know, there really isn't a great, you know, other alternative um, that doesn't take, you know, all this effort, as I mentioned, uh, to do. Um, so, you know, even though the rates aren't that great sometimes, and even though there might be a lot of variation in radiology, ra uh, radiologist uh, quality in terms of being able to identify, um, you know, different pathologies, and maybe some physicians are actually really good, you know, at identifying particular pathologies over others. And, you know, we sort of take this all, you know, sort of uh, in stride and say, you know, look, just do the best you can, you know, give me as much data as you can. And hopefully, you know, the, um, the models will be able to learn uh, on their own. And as we also mentioned in section one of the podcast, you know, these models are uh, very pretty robust to, to noise. Uh, and so, you know, if you have um, a pneumonia that's mislabeled as, you know, an atelectasis or something like that, um, you know, that the machine learning model is not going to just sort of say, oh, you know, I'm going to give up because, you know, uh, the atelectasis is in the sea of pneumonia, or the pneumonia is in the sea of atelectasis. But it's actually going to say, okay, well, you know, here's an example that doesn't seem to quite fit with all the other examples, but, you know, I'm just going to leave it there because, um, you know, if I try to put a decision boundary, you know, where the pneumonia is and say this is atelectasis, it actually, you know, makes the model work worse. And that's the whole idea behind regularization uh, and some of the technical terms in terms of not overfitting uh, the data. I do think there's from this there's a wonderful opportunity for some research to actually look at some of these um, data sets and some of these uh, large-scale data sets, run some deep learning and machine learning algorithms on them, uh, and identify sort of the false positives in each of the categories and see whether, you know, you as a physician can go back and look at those false positives and say, oh, you know, yeah, that one's definitely mislabeled. Or, you know, oh, yeah, these are borderline cases where, you know, this, looking at this image, it could be either diagnosis A or diagnosis B. Uh, and really, you know, getting into the meat of, of these algorithms and if they're learning the right things or if they're overfitting. Uh, and that's certainly a, a really great opportunity as a domain expert to contribute to this conversation uh, for building better classifiers. So what do we read this week? Uh, we read several papers. Uh, the first one was by uh, Wang et al. Uh, chest X-ray 8, a hospital-scale chest X-ray database and benchmarks on weekly supervised classification and localization of common thoracic diseases. The second was uh, by Raj Pakur and et al. Um, toward uh, the MURA dataset towards radiologist-level abnormality detection and musculoskeletal radiographs. Uh, the third was uh, Pollard and Johnson, uh, the MIMIC-3 clinical database. And finally, the last one was a very technical paper, which I'm actually not going to talk that much about, um, 
but I will talk more about the data set itself. Um, but I just want to include it here so that you can see uh, the winning. Uh, so this was part of a competition, uh, and this is the winning um, paper uh, from that competition. So it's by uh, Liao et al. Evaluate the malignancy of pulmonary nodules using a 3D leaky, deep leaky noisy ore network. So let's start with uh, chest x-ray 8 uh, by Wang et al. So there are really two or three uh, sort of conceptual uh, ideas I want you to get out of this. Uh, and hopefully one day you may be involved with sort of annotating some data from machine learning and, and hopefully pu maybe publishing a paper uh, on that data set. Uh, and the first sort of best practice is, is thinking about um, you know, publishing the sample distribution, right? And that's sort of an obvious one, uh, but one, you know, not to be totally belabored, but just to be mentioned is that when you do, you know, publish these papers and you do, you know, benchmark them, you know, you present the sample distribution as you would. Um, I really liked actually this uh, circle diagram they used, I think, in figure one, uh, where they showed or showed that since the annotations are not mutually exclusive, uh, that you could sort of see the relationship between each of the diagnoses. And that was really a nice way of seeing how often, you know, diagnoses occurred um, together. The second best practice is talking a little about, about the metadata, right? Um, so, you know, what machines uh, was used to capture the data uh, if you're using an MR or a CT machine, uh, as well as, you know, if you do have information and demographic information about the patients, you know, what, what are the basic demographics for the patients? You know, do you have anything about their age, you know, race, gender, and other things? And those are important because it helps me put, you know, the data into context. Um, so, you know, maybe I, I'm, you know, a pediatric radiologist and I'm trying to see if this, you know, will work for us. And rather than having to look at the images and realize, oh, you know, they're all adults, I could just look at the sample distribution and say, oh, you know, yeah, these are, you know, from the age ranges, this is not exactly my patients. Another concept of importance in this paper are strategies for labeling uh, lots of data. So as you know, I mean, your time is extremely valuable. And, you know, it takes a long time to label these things. Um, and who's going to do that? And, you know, especially if you're doing it not for necessary for the clinical purpose for, for building a builder, better data set, you know, we certainly don't get paid, you know, to do that. Um, so one question is, you know, what are strategies for labeling lots of data? Uh, and the authors present two. The first is, you know, using natural language processing. So they take the textual uh, radio, radiographic report and they sort of parse out, right, um, all the disease states uh, and apply that to the, uh, to the radiograph. Uh, and this is great. I mean, you can imagine that this is a system that scales extremely well. Right, because once you build whatever natural language processing algorithm you're going to use, I mean, you can just churn through lots and lots of records. Um, however, um, you know there are biases, right? I mean, uh, sometimes people will don't always always um, uh, report everything in exactly the same way, uh, and so. Um, you know, though, you know, in a report, you may say, oh, well, you know, they don't have this, right? Well, a negation is necessarily inclusive of all negations, right? So, uh, you know, just because they mention it, usually we mention things like that because it's a negation of importance, but sometimes uh, another radiologist may not mention it just because, you know, it's not, um, uh, it's not something that, that they want to, uh, you know, uh, highlight. 
Um, so, uh, but, you know, as sort of this idea, as we talked about before, getting more data, right, and rather than trying to get higher quality data, you know, this would seem like a reasonable approach. And I think it is a reasonable approach to sort of getting lots and lots of uh, um, additional data for, for a classification. The other approach which they hint out is this idea of crowdsourcing. Um, so there is a, a system called Mechanical Turk. Uh, it's called Amazon. It's an, actually an Amazon product. Um, and it's a way of labeling lots of uh, data. And so what they do is they'll, they'll sort of put up a task. Um, and so they'll say, you know, please identify, you know, the companies in this sentence. Uh, and then micro workers or workers, right, will look at those and label them. And Amazon Turk will pay these people like five cents or 10 cents, right, every time they do this classification. Um, and so this would be awesome, right? This would be a great way to incentivize uh, people to um, label things for us, especially when we don't have an army of people, you know, to do this. And as the paper points out, it's a little bit difficult in medicine. Um, you know, the amount of uh, domain expertise you need to have to be able to look at an image and say what it is is not trivial. Um, however, uh, you know, you could imagine uh, maybe having other sites or, you know, asking radiologists or paying more money per um, um, classification uh, to do this task. Uh, and, and especially in imaging, right? It's probably outside the realm of the public to be able to do that. However, uh, in the reports themselves, it may be possible to, um, you know, identify certain domain experts, you know, especially if they're not radiologists, just related to the medical field, and, and have them be able to identify the concepts of the other things that you would want to extract out of a radiologic report. So this is just something to keep in mind and something to keep in your toolbox as you think about, you know, what are other strategies for labeling data rather than just you sitting out and doing it. Another thing that I really like about this paper is that they didn't stop about uh, stop at yes uh, and no's, right? Um, and so they didn't say, oh, does this person have this pathology or they do not? But but they actually went a further step and actually tried to look at the bounding boxes, right? To try to create a box to see where things are. Uh, and and that's really helpful because at the end of the day, you know, we run these algorithms, it says yes or no, but, you know, they're still kind of black boxes. So we don't exactly know what's going on inside. Uh, and so if we have an, the algorithm that can tell us, oh, you know, here's where we think the, the pathology is, right? It helps us give us a little bit of face that the, that, the, that the system is doing sort of what we intended to do. And the last concept is um, this issue, you know, regarding data quality, which we talked about before. Um, you know, it may seem like a shoddy gold standard. Um, there was a blog post, uh, which I will post up uh, in the uh, website, uh, talking by radiologists, you know, looking at this data set, exploring some of the data further and sort of, you know, just being quite explicit with some of the errors right in the actual data uh, the data itself and the interesting thing i took out of you know his sort of uh, blog post was well i wonder if i could take that example that he found that was wrong and you know uh, uh use sort of certain graph and, and visualization methods to show the distribution of the um, different uh, uh, diseases um, in sort of a 2D space uh, from the images and see where that example ended up. So in other words, you know, oh, you know, so this person mislabeled atelectasis as pneumonia. Well, I wonder if that atelectasis actually showed up, you know, in pneumonia and, and where, you know, the sort of pneumonia classifications would be. 
Um, and next week we'll see a paper with uh, dermatology where they actually do this, right? They create sort of this 2D uh, cloud, right, that show all the different lesions, uh, skin lesions, and where they exist. Uh, and that would be a really cool sort of analysis to do uh, with some of the feedback that, that he gave. Another thing I really liked about this paper was the validation set um, on the natural language processing. Um, so the, the authors didn't stop saying, oh, you know, we use some natural language processing tool to extract um, uh, all the pathologies, and then, you know, then we did our deep learning. Uh, and this is actually something that I see oftentimes in papers where they'll say they apply some natural language processing technique uh, to, you know, get large-scale data, but they don't go into any details of that natural language processing, or they describe it, but they don't really say how well it worked. Um, and so that's one thing I did like a lot about uh, this particular approach was that, you know, they went into a couple uh, uh, details about the natural language processing algorithm. Then they took another data set uh, that was annotated, this open eye data set, and they, um, you know, applied their model to this data set to see how well uh, it would extract, you know, the right information from the reports to generate some uh, uh, performance metrics. And I think that's always great practice. Uh, and please, you know, if you are thinking about using, um, you know, large-scale natural language processing techniques, make sure to incorporate that into your write-ups because that's an essential part of evaluating your methodology. Uh, because you know, if if the if the natural language processing isn't that good, um, you know, the performances aren't that good, you know, then it sort of brings into suspect, you know, any results that you'll have downstream. The next paper we'll talk about is the musculoskeletal uh, data set paper. And there were a couple of things that I liked uh, about um, the data set and how they described it. The first is that they were very explicit in, in the captured metadata. They talked a little bit about the PAC system uh, that the, the radiologists used. Um, and you know the, the and the density and the size of the images themselves and this is all great metadata right that's good to to, to understand and, and really give me confidence that the uh, labeling process was 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 good uh, and and yeah it was good the other thing I liked is uh, they were pretty explicit in the labeling methodology um, and so they didn't really go into too much details, but they did say a little bit about the experience of the Raiders, which I think is really important. Uh, and I would have actually have liked to see a little bit more information regarding inter-rater reliability. Uh, so, you know, being able to look at and sort of compare between the different Raiders how well they're doing. Uh, and that's something that uh, I do like to see in papers that sometimes they, that people don't report. There were four other papers, uh, sort of data sets uh, to discuss. Um, so uh, the next paper was the MIMIC-3 paper. So uh, MIMIC-3 is a huge ICU uh, data set uh, captured by the folks at uh, Brigham Women's, I think, um, and includes you know 60,000 records, I think 250 or 300 gigabytes worth of data, textual data, as well as um, uh, uh, like four, two or three terabytes of telemetry data uh, from all the ICU machines. Uh, and the reason I included here is that it's really a, a great stock data set to use. I mean, it's really easy to access. There's All you have to do is sign a data use agreement and do some uh, city human subjects research training, and you can get access to this data. And it has lots of radio, radiographic reports. Um, it doesn't have the images themselves, but it does have the reports. Uh, and so this is really nice because if you're doing you know some sort of natural language processing task or you know trying to do something uh, along those lines, you know, this is a re ready data source that you can use uh, without having to you know go through the um, 
uh, go through the de-identification process and all that kind of stuff because this data is actually already de-identified uh, by some uh, fairly uh, straightforward algorithms uh, and so um, you know these are and some of this data has actually been used in, in competitions uh, where they've taken these radiologic reports annotated them and then given them to some computer scientists or entered them into competition to try to identify you know different concepts and other things uh, from them the other uh, data set is the RSNA Pediatric Bone uh, Age Challenge. Um, and so, um, yeah, and this is these last couple data sets are just sort of for your information uh, that they're available uh, and that, you know, people are competing on them. And if you have any interest in, you know, uh, deep learning and some of these uh, projects, you know, this is something to try. Um, and I do know that uh, the folks at the Center for Data Science at MGH and Brigham Women's have been uh, working on a, a deployed version of this pediatric bone age. Uh, and so they've actually taken a model uh, that was published in literature and are actually applying that in, in practice uh, for radiologists who are, uh, you know, reading bone ages. Uh, and so I guess it ingests, you know, the image and then it produces a number uh, that says what uh, the system thinks uh, it is, and the physician also gives their recommendation of what it thinks it is, uh, what they think the age is, and they're doing some studies uh, on that. And, and I think that'll be published probably in the, you know the next year or so, since that is an ongoing study. Uh, the Lung Image uh, Data Consortium, uh, just another resource uh, for data sets uh, that may be available. Uh, so if you're interested in in some of that, you know that's a good place to go to get some annotated data. And finally, uh, the Kaggle Lung Cancer uh, uh, Detection uh, Competition. So uh, Kaggle has been one of the, the coolest websites, actually, for the machine learning community. Um, and so it's sort of a contest website. Uh, so companies, uh, academics, um, conferences will sort of post uh, data um, for analysis. They'll, you know, uh, write up a whole reason, uh, you know, for what uh, should be identified, what the evaluation plan is, um, and then people will literally um, um, compete uh, to try to get the best uh, performances. Um, and so, one is the lung, lung cancer detection uh, challenge. Uh, so uh, I think there was uh, CT scans, uh, and the goal was to try to identify, to build the best algorithm to identify uh, lung cancer uh, from these CT scans. Um, and so, uh, and a little later, we'll talk about the, the actual paper that won this competition and some of the salient points uh, from that. But Calgo is a great website to be aware of. Um, and, uh, you know, if you ever run to, into it, they, they do routinely have a sort of medical-based uh, um Competitions. They're not always uh, radio, uh, radio, radio, radiology related, uh, but it's a great way to sort of, you know, engage with a data scientist and, and have some fun, you know, sort of uh, trying to come up with solutions to, uh, you know, identifying, you know, some, some pathology and then submitting to this website and seeing how well you do when compared to other people. So this is where you know we I'd usually answer questions uh, from the audience uh, from the students um, about uh, these papers, uh, and so there were some submissions, um, but they were focused more on the methodologies. And today I didn't want to get too deep into talking about the methodologies, you know, the deep convolutional neural network or, or some of the things that they, experimentally that they did in these papers, and we'll cover that a little bit later. Um, however, um, you know, please, uh, if you were tasked to read uh, this section and you haven't read it, uh, and since you have read it or listening to this podcast now and you have other questions, please submit those to me. Um, it's pretty easy to, to add on to this podcast uh, and even have a little separate section, um, you know, for answering questions because I really want this to be relevant 
uh, to you and the kinds of things that, that you may be thinking about. All right. Uh, thank you, everyone, for your time today. Um, looking forward into the next couple lectures um, or the next couple of sections. Um, so we're moving on to section uh, four uh, sort of this week um, and going to complete that as soon as possible and really looking at some of the clinical uh, machine learning papers and how people are trying to actually use this at the clinical level and some of those interesting uh, results and then uh, and then we'll move on to section five after that where we really start getting to the imaging papers we're going to spend at least uh, three to four sessions you know talking about different imaging applications and how people are using deep learning and other things to uh, you know build better classifiers uh, so thank you uh, and i will connect with you next time. Bye-bye.